0: kind of penciled in for this topic for today about i try to plan kind of plan my topics about three months out so that nobody can accuse me of having a conversation with them on monday and then preaching about their life on sunday okay so just so you know i really this is how i kind of plan i try to do about three months out and that is subject to change if i can't really flush out an idea you've heard some of those sermons you're like no dude you weren't ready to preach that one but um that's why i pencil them in but and sometimes i preach them anyway So, anyway, I had this topic penciled in, and then um, with the youth leadership team, we've been talking about um, kind of an area of emphasis for our youth ministry for the next school year. And one of the things that we settled on was this very topic, and focusing on the person of Jesus and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I've read a book that I'm going to be talking a lot about that will rock your world, and I read the student edition, and it's more than I can handle, and uh, so it's, this is just, I actually am not preaching the book, I've just read the book at the same time I've been preparing these thoughts, and uh, so I'm really looking forward to it in, in a way, and I'm dreading it in another. Uh, this past spring, um, History Channel, how many of you have ever watched History Channel? How many of you have ever been featured on History Channel? <laughs> Premiered a reality series based in Maine, following a colorful—a group of colorful locals who wheel and deal their way through uh, life, scouring classified ads in Uncle Henry's, that's right. Down East Dickering. Some people call it Down East Dickering, but we know that's not how you say it. It's Down East Dickering. Features Dickering pros Tony and Codfish, and you know who I'm talking about? And Clint, and Yummy. Some of you know Yummy personally, I know you do. And these guys do whatever it takes to make a few bucks so, as they can say, they can enjoy life on their own terms. If you're unclear, you think I'm making this up, you need to go, if you don't get History Channel, hop online and you can see the episodes online. But if you're unclear as to what Dickron is, I thought um, maybe we'd have the guys from Downey's Dickern kind of explain that for us real quick. This is, this is just to make it real clear. That's bartering. Mm. That's bartering. 5 right. I'll give you five, but I'll give you a hundred and trade. But it's not bartering. It's a numbers game. Fifteen hundred dollars cash. It's different. Dickering in Maine is buying, selling, swapping, trading, wheeling, dealing, horse trading. You give me the scrap, I'll give you the engine. I took a guy, four loads of horse manure for a bicycle. You gotta know how to work, people. That's good. The difference with you bucks 75. Dude, made you really smile. I'll never pay retail ever. I thought you said you wanted to dicker. Well, I'm sure that Cain and Abel dickered. <laughs> I love that. <clears throat> yeah, we know how that worked out for Cain and Abel. <laughs> so <clears throat> the truth of the matter is, when it comes to following Jesus, some of us think we can dicker with him, and we, we can get everything we want, and he'll still somehow be impressed. So this morning, we're going to talk about discipleship dickering. you with me? Okay, are you offended yet? Is that a little sacrilegious? I don't know, maybe. But anyway, here's the deal. There are some real benefits to being a Christian. If you've attended here for very long at all, you know that we talk about these things all the time. We talk about the things that could be considered benefits to being a Christian. In fact, we talk about them so much that some people in this community have, uh, have been known to label us as self-help. We're the self-help church. That's not so bad. I don't think, because if if God loves you, he sent Jesus who loves you, uh, and he would like to help you. And in fact, he gave us the Holy Spirit, who the Bible calls the helper. So um, I hope you find your time here on Sunday mornings to be helpful. That's one of my goals every time that I teach, is regardless of where you are on your spiritual journey, that you would find something here on a regular basis that is helpful in your everyday life. But it's not self-help. It's, it's what we believe that God has spoken into, community, into humanity, the God who created us and who loved us and who said, you know, hey, pay attention. I know how relationships work. I created relationships. I know how finances work. I know how morality works. I set the standard. I even invented sex, so pay attention. So, of course, our creator God knows how to be helpful. And being a Christian, especially in North America, maybe more so than any other place in the world, being a Christian, there are some huge advantages. But if you're a Christian, at some point along the way in your Christian journey, you're going to come to a place where it's going to be hard. At some point, following Jesus is going to be hard. You're going to have to actually give something up for the sake of following Jesus. It's actually going to cost you something. And you'll know exactly when that moment comes. In fact, some of you are in that moment like right now. You're in the middle of making a tough decision. And you'll just know. And Christianity has served you well, and I think there are several times in the life of anyone who's a Christian, anyone who claims to be a follower of Christ, that that we look back and we think, you know, it's been great, there are lots of benefits, it's been very helpful. But then there's a point where to continue to follow is going to cost us something. And when you get to that point, your decision, your response to that moment will determine this about you. It will determine whether you continue to be a consumer or whether you continue to be or maybe begin to be an actual follower. A consumer is kind of like, wow, look at all these great principles. Oh, that's great. My, I'll write this down because my marriage is going to be better. You know what I'm going to get? I can get out of debt. And wow, I'm going to behave myself morally. You know, oh, wait, purity leads to intimacy. Good, write that one down. That's great. Yeah, I love biblical principles. They're awesome. I'm going to be so good now. I mean, look at all these cool things I learned from the Bible. And don't get me wrong. That's okay because I, I am there a lot of the time. In fact, Jesus even kind of baited people to follow him by encouraging them to be consumers momentarily by enabling their tendency toward consumerism he actually fed them one time i mean that that it doesn't get much more consumer oriented than that you feed me i'm all in i mean peter and the guys are fishing and he almost sank their boat they had so many fish they couldn't keep they just couldn't keep up and he's like hey guys want to see some more of that follow me you know so jesus understood consumerism but jesus also taught us that some of us and some of us have discovered this that there is a point of transition. Somewhere along the way, we have, a, we have a decision to make. We have a crossroads where we can go from consumer to follower. And in Jesus' day, there were consumers and followers. Today, there are consumers and followers. And I admit, I've been both. I admit, I've gone back and forth from consumer to follower back to consumer when it's convenient for me. Then you bump into one of those moments those stages of life or a decision that we've made and we're dealing with the ramifications or whatever, moments in time, and you realize it's going to cost me something to be a follower of Jesus. <clears throat> the reason I want to talk about that uh, today is I think, I think we all should know this. I, some of you have been thinking about being baptized. And baptism is an outward expression of an inward connection. Baptism is about, I'm going public with my faith, and I want to declare that Jesus is my Savior. He did something for me, and my Lord, I'm doing something for Him. You know, Jesus is my Savior. He did something for me, died for me, gave me salvation and grace and mercy and all that, and He's my Lord. Now, I'm going to do something for Him. And you should know that at some point along the way in your journey as 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 a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, following Him is going to cost you something. And that sounds ominous, and it sounds like bad news. So today we're going to look at a teaching of Jesus that is so profound. It's one of those teachings, and Jesus had a lot of these, but it's one of those teachings that is so profound. That's why I'm convinced it's true, no, that cause no one else could have made this up. It's so profound that if someone did make it up, uh, they would have taken credit for it. I mean, have you ever had an original idea? I mean, ever. And uh, don't. How many of you ever had an original idea? I'm just like, okay, I want to make sure we're still... Um, that we're not totally hypothetical here, but don't you love to take credit for your original ideas? I mean, I do. My, my original thoughts and ideas and creations, I, I want credit for that. And I don't think, uh, th- this whole idea, this teaching we're going to look at today is so profound that I don't think anybody would have made this up and said, I know what I'll do. I'll just give credit to Jesus on this one. So it's so brilliant. It brings us to the point of decision of am I going to continue to be a consumer or am I going to be a follower? And it sheds light on it in such a way that hopefully, as a result of Jesus' own words, when we get to that point, and you're going to get there. If you're a Christian, you're going to get there. When you get to that moment of decision, whether it's in your marriage or in your finances or in your job or with your friends or your education or where you go to church or what your involvement in the church looks like, or whatever, I don't know what it's going to be for you. But when you get to that point, If you can keep these words of Jesus front and center, it's like it's illuminating. And what seems like a high price to pay to be a follower, you really begin to understand that it's a trade that's always worth making. The bottom line is salvation is free. Costs you nothing. But following Jesus at some point is going to cost you something. Salvation is free. It costs you nothing. We celebrate that every time we gather together. But following Christ at some point along the way, it's going to cost you something. There'll be no immediate return on the price that you pay. In that moment, though, you'll learn something about yourself. In that moment, for some of us, hopefully all of us will make the transition from consumer to follower. So I want to let Jesus explain this. He does a far better job than I do since these are his words. In Mark chapter 8, and so if you have your Bible or you're sitting somewhere where you can see your Bible, uh, we're going to have it on the screen too. Mark chapter 8 is where I want to read from this morning. I want to read several verses. And if you're new to the Bible, go about three quarters of the way through. You'll find probably be in the New Testament. The New Testament starts with Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So the Gospels, these are the four separate accounts of the life of the, the, of the life and ministry of Jesus. So we're going to be in the second Gospel, in the Gospel of Mark. Scholars generally agree that Mark is the oldest Gospel. It was written first. It was written by a friend of Peter. Uh, his name was Mark, and Peter was Mark's source for his account of the life of Jesus. Mark chapter 8, we're going to begin at verse 27. <clears throat> now, in Mark eight twenty-seven, Jesus had just finished healing a guy who was blind. It's weird, this miracle, because it's like a two-part miracle. <clears throat> and I don't, know, I don't know exactly what was going on here if the first pass didn't take. It was a very odd miracle. I, I, people have read into it. and uh, Bottom line is, I don't really know what it means. Um, but all these people watch this two-phase miracle, and then Jesus begins to ask some questions of them, and that's where we're going to jump to in the text. Okay? So they've just seen this miracle, blind guy can see. Verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? I wouldn't suggest you try that, by the way. Not at work or at school tomorrow, I wouldn't suggest that verse 28 they replied some say john the baptist so john the baptist had just been beheaded by herod and some people thought jesus was a resurrected john the baptist others say elijah who'd been dead a long time and still others one of the prophets so in the first century there seemed to be this common belief in reincarnation okay so that would, they had their own issues with that you know maybe jesus is elijah reincarnated or maybe he's john the baptist you know they were cousins after all but so i don't know they just kind of had some screwed up thinking there verse 29 He says, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you're the Messiah. That's the Hebrew word. The Greek word is Christ. That's the word that we typically use. You're the anointed one. You're the one I've been hearing about since I was a little boy. You're the one we've been promised. You're the one we've been waiting for. Verse 30. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him, which is kind of odd. He's like, good, right answer, Peter. Now, shh. It's between you and me. Verse 31, right in this moment of incredible revelation of who Jesus is, here's what he says, verse 31, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, by the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and then he must be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So, so... He's just said, you are the Messiah. Now I'm going to tell you what the truth is, Jesus. You know, you don't know what you're talking about. He's like, whoa, 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 don't go negative now, Jesus. Don't go negative on us. What are you talking about? Why'd you go there, Jesus? Okay, Jesus, you just did this miracle. You know, we realized things didn't go real smoothly there. It took you a couple passes for some reason, you know, but now the guy can see, you know. So good job, Jesus. Right, way to go. We got the the end result was good. Way to go. Oh, and then we had this amazing revelation. You know, we recognized who you are and and you're like, bingo. Oh, and shh, we're not going to tell anybody. So, so you finally revealed your true identity. We've nailed that down. And now you're saying you're going to be rejected and arrested and beaten and killed. I mean, come on, Jesus. What are you talking about? I don't, what? This whole conversation's crazy. This is not good for you, Jesus. And honestly, this is not good for us. Because honestly, no one even knew our names until we started hanging out with you. And you've made us somebody, you know. People know us. They recognize us. They even know our names. We're, we're part of the crowd feeding miracle working team here. So let's not go negative, Jesus. Peter started to rebuke him. Verse 33, when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. And he said, get behind me, Satan. You've heard that said before. You've probably said it out of context. You probably never heard the context before. Here's where it comes from. He's talking to Peter. He says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. In other words, Peter, you're a user. Peter, you're just a consumer. Peter, you're in this for Peter. You're not in this for God's agenda. You're in this for your agenda. And he looked at Peter's shocked face, and he looked at the faces of the shocked disciples, and he thinks, teaching moment, teaching moment. Verse 34. And he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Okay, Jesus launches into this teaching, and he's so extremely profound, but understand the context, okay? He's just confronted one of his closest followers, and basically he says, Peter, you know, you're with me, you're walking along beside me, you're taking notes of my teaching, you're helping perform miracles, but Peter, you're still a consumer. And I understand that, Peter, because I got you into this as a consumer. You remember that day, Peter? Remember that day I almost sank your boat? Remember that with all those fish? And then I said, follow me? I mean, what were you going to say? You know, uh, no, thanks, Jesus. I think I'll just stay here and clean my fish, you know? I mean, you almost had to become part of my group. So I baited you into becoming one of my guys. But now, Peter, we got to step it up. Now, Peter, we're at a different place. Peter, we're just days away from stuff happening here. And, 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 and you don't want to bail on me now. I don't want you to bail on me. It's time for you to move from consumer and user to follower. So I want everyone to sit down. I want you to listen. I want to explain this whole deal, this whole following thing. Verse 34. He called the crowd together uh, to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple. A disciple isn't a consumer. A disciple is a follower and a learner. A disciple says, wherever you go, I go. I'm going to get behind you and I'm going to follow you. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Deny themselves, it it isn't really a tricky idea. It's not a tricky term. Deny yourself simply means that you say no to you at some point. And Jesus says, you can't just use me. At some point, you've got to move beyond all the cool principles that you're learning about that help you in your life. That's all great. That's why it's there. But at some point, I'm going to ask you to do something, and you're going to have to look in the mirror and say no to you and yes to me. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. This is jewelry for us, right? A necklace, and if you're wearing a cross, I don't mean to, but a necklace, some earrings, a sticker on your car, maybe even a tattoo. This is a symbol for us. Jesus' listeners had seen crosses used. They had walked by many that stood as warnings to the Jews in that region. It wasn't uncommon for the Romans to line entire roadways with crosses occupied with people suffering and dying and dead. And Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, there's a sense in which you're going to have to die, if not literally, then certainly figuratively. And if Peter thought Jesus was negative before, Jesus had just gone way negative, okay, when he brings the cross into this thing. Not only is he going to die, he's saying, not only is he going to die, now he's saying, if you're going to follow me, you have to die. And they're stunned and they're thinking, can can, can this be done now? We can go do some more miracles because those are cool. And Jesus has them right where he wants them, kind of like where he's got you and me right where he wants us. And he says, Now, before you freak out, before you go, Well, I don't think so. I like the show. I like the music. Some of the teaching's good, not today so much, but some of the teaching's good and helpful. And uh, I'm maybe a better person today because some of the stuff I've learned. And I love the music. And the kids' thing is awesome. And sometimes we eat food. So it's all good. So can we just stay there, Jesus? I think he's just saying, I want you to understand what I'm asking. While it's extreme, I'll give you that, but it's not as irrational as we might think. Verse 35. He says, for whoever wants to save their life, that's me. That's you. It's why you see your doctor. It's why you take vitamins. It's why you go to the gym. It's why you watch what you eat. It's why you get on that silly treadmill thing. This is why Jesus is the master communicator. Because he's thinking, let's get everyone on the same page. Everyone who wants to save their life. Anybody here not want to save their life? Well, Jesus, I think that's all of us. Yeah, exactly. So whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Oh, I suppose. I suppose you're right. Does it strike you weird when you read the obituary? I don't know if you read obituaries, which in itself is a little weird, but... When you see that a doctor has died, isn't that weird? Yeah, dietitians die. There's the word "die" is right in their title. But <laughs> personal trainers die. Everybody wants to save their life, and everybody loses it eventually. Write that down. And he goes, "For whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it." Wait, 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 wait. What are we? What are we talking about? What? We were with you there for a minute, Jesus. But what? Everybody who wants to save their life will lose it. Okay, got that. I got that. I I, I can see that. I want to save my life. I want, you know, whatever, but eventually it's gone. But everybody who loses their life, whatever life is to you, whoever experiences a death, a loss in this life around something related to me and my gospel, he says, whoever says no to themselves, whoever denies themselves, is in denying themselves there is loss, something dies, opportunity dies, Income dies, reputation dies, a dream dies, image dies, something dies. And whoever somehow loses what they consider life in this life for my sake, he says, will gain their life, will save it. At this point, if you're someone who um, does not believe in an afterlife, number one, you're an extreme minority. There are about 4% of Americans who don't believe in an afterlife. Uh, about 96% of Americans believe in heaven, and 4% believe in hell. This is really weird to me. But anyway, most people, and most Americans in particular, uh, we believe in an afterlife. But even if you don't believe in an afterlife, just, you know, you, you live, you accumulate some stuff, you might even do some good stuff, for whatever sake, and you die in your dirt and it's over, um, the rest of what Jesus says will uh, have very little appeal to you, um, but I would invite you not to leave early, um, and even if you get up and go to the bathroom, there are speakers in there, so you're still going to hear my voice. Uh, <clears throat> I love when people discover that for the first time. I would just invite you to listen anyway, because Jesus, who predicted he would be falsely accused, checked, arrested, checked, beaten, checked. Abused? Check. Crucified? Check. Rise from the dead? Check. He talked about an afterlife. So in this moment where he's got his audience completely confused, you know, because I don't really want to follow you now because you said something about a cross, and I know what that means. But it's true what you said about losing my life because even if I avoid the cross thing, eventually I am going to lose my life. Everybody knows that, so hmm. So, So you're saying that somehow I can leverage and find value In this life, if I lose my life for you, okay, I don't know what to think, Jesus. And he asked this amazing question, verse 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit or trade away or lose or have taken from you? What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? In other words, imagine you could have the perfect life whatever the perfect life is for you, you know, live wherever you want to live and drive whatever you want to drive and be married to whoever you want to be married to and have whatever career you want to have. If you want to have a career, if you just want to sit on the beach, whatever, you know, what good would it be to you if you had the perfect life and gained the whole world? And then as you get to the end of your life, because you've already established that even if you work really hard at saving your life, you're going to lose it because nobody lives forever. So you've met, you've, you ever met someone like hundred and three, 104. Five years old. That's about as far as it gets for most of us to have met somebody. Uh, when, when you meet like a 105-year-old, most of us aren't even sure we want to get that old, right? You know, like it's neat, it's kind of interesting, but I'm like, I don't know if I want that to be me. He says, since we're all going to lose our life anyway, what good is it if somehow we've gained the whole world? Everything in your life is perfect. You get to the end of your life and you have this unique advantage of being able to peer over into the next life and you peer over into the next life and you go, uh-oh, I didn't know it, but in my attempt to create the perfect world and to gain the whole world and and in the process, I have forfeited my own soul. If I had it to do all over again, if somehow there was some way to do life in a way that I would not have to have forfeited my soul, he says, what good is it for you to have gained the whole world, everything that you want, but when you get to the end of this life, you look into the next life and you have forfeited, traded off, bartered away, lost your very soul. What good is that? And I don't really care what you believe. You, we would all say that's no good. That's not good at all. Now, is he talking about heaven and hell? I don't, he doesn't say that. Is he talking about eternal annihilation? He doesn't say. I don't think that's his point. I think his point is that I just want you to think with me for a second. If you believe that there's more to this life than this life, if you think there's something beyond this life, then would you agree with me that the last thing you would want to do is something in this life, even if this life was perfect, that would forfeit what there is on the other side of your last breath? I mean, what good is it if you have everything in this world and you forfeit your soul? And all of us of all denominations and all religions and all backgrounds and all philosophical thought would say, well, that would be no good at all. In the next statement, he tells you something about yourself that maybe you didn't know till today. In the statement, he says something that's true of you, that as soon as he reveals it, you're going to go, well, he's right. And maybe you haven't thought of this before. You've been too busy for this. It doesn't really, maybe it's never really sunk in. Again, regardless of your religious background, regardless of what you think about God, Jesus is about to tell us something that, about ourselves, and we're going to go, well, that's true. I, I either didn't know it, or I forgot about it, or I didn't think about it, or maybe I have just denied it. But if what he's about to say about us, if we were to take this big, big thought and put it front and center in our marriages, in our dating relationships, in our parenting, in the way that we manage our money, in our workplace, in our friendships, in our churches, in the way we treat people, in the way that we see our world, in the way that we prioritize our lives, if we were to put it front and center, because it's true, it's true of you and it's true of me, it might just change everything. So let me review You want to save your life? Well, yeah. Well, you can't. You're going to lose it anyway. Okay. And if you had a perfect life, you got to the end of your perfect life, and you realized, oh, no, because I traded for a perfect life, I have forfeited my soul, you know, I would say, you know, bad trade. I'd like a redo, please, because I'd like to have a less than perfect life and save my soul. And I don't know exactly what any of this means, but save my soul sounds like a good thing. Then Jesus asks a question. If you're sitting in this room right now, and I don't care how much coffee you had and how bored you are and how short your attention span is, I need your attention right now. Okay. Stay with me for just a couple minutes. Don't leave the room. If you do, I'm going to embarrass you. No, I'm you can embarrass yourself. Don't, don't check your text messages right now. Nothing's that important. Maybe you, maybe you need to put your phone and your Bible and your notebook and your pen and everything away for a minute. And if you're at home and you've been playing this in the background while you're checking your Facebook, I need your undivided attention because this is really, really important. If you're driving your car, listen to the CD, pull over right Now. Now. Verse 37, Jesus says, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Some translations say would. What would you give in exchange for your soul? What would you give? What would you give in this life for your soul? Somehow he doesn't give us any details. I think maybe that's the point. If somehow, you know, you had whatever you had in this life and, and you know, I had it over here and then you had your soul over here and what's at stake is, is your soul. I, I don't even know. What exactly this means, I can't get my mind around it because it's important because it's at the center of whatever is going on in this life, after this life. This life and your soul, wouldn't you exchange this life in order to save your soul? So Jesus says, What would, we, what would you give? I know the answer to that. Anything. Everything that if somehow in this hypothetical thing Jesus is pushing us to the edge and if at the end of this life I'm peering into the next one and I had an opportunity to trade whatever you know, I could trade from this life in order to make soul, sure that my soul is in a better condition, whatever that is exactly, what, what, why would I be willing to trade in from this life in order to, you know, to, 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 to have this secure? I, I think I would be willing to let go of anything and everything. Because remember, everybody wants to save their life, but everybody's going to lose it, yeah. But if you're going to lose it anyway, what would you not be willing to trade in this life in order to do something for the benefit of your eternal soul? Is there anything that you would say, no, 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 not that, I'm hanging on to that? No. And in this moment, we all discover something about ourselves. And here's what we discover, that for you, your soul is of greater value Than all your things. Your soul is of greater value than all your experiences. Your soul is of greater value than all your relationships because if at the end of this life, you're about to leave it anyway, you had an opportunity to make a deal and push a button and trade it all for the benefit of your eternal soul, you'd push the button, you'd make the deal. Which means, and this is kind of staggering that at your core, when you stop to think about it, when you peel back all the layers, when you peel back all the busyness, when you peel back all the reputation, when you peel back all the fears and the pride and all that, when you get right down to the core of you, you value your soul more than you value all the things that you spend your life and time and energy accumulating and securing and protecting and ensuring. You value your soul above all things. Now, let me ask you a question. So Jesus is going, see, see I told you, if you're going to follow me and take up your cross, that, that there, there might have to be a death, there might have to be loss, there, there you might have to give something up. And he says, but ladies and gentlemen, I know you. I know you. All this stuff that you might have to give up in order to follow me, because I know you, there will come a day when you'd be willing to give it all up, if it had something to do with the benefit and the well-being of your soul. What if? What if that sat in the center of our lives? What if that sat in the center of our decision-making? What if that sat in the center of the way that we do relationships? <clears throat> Jesus' audience, I think, at this point is kind of stunned. It's like, you know, is anybody writing this down? You know, is anybody recording this? Is anybody going to post this on YouTube? Because this is some crazy stuff right here. I mean, you know, it's like even those of us who aren't really following Jesus, we're kind of on the fringe waiting for another miracle and some free food. We, 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 we know he's right. I would trade it all, all the stuff I wanted to accumulate, all the stuff I worked so hard to experience, all the stuff I worked to protect. I would trade it all for the sake of my soul, whatever that means. He looks him in the eye. And I don't know how this next part applies to you and me. I have some ideas, but I don't want to overstep my bounds. Um, but if you want to explore that, let's go drink coffee. He looks him in the eye, and he says this, verse 38, if anyone's ashamed of me, that is, if you're ashamed to be identified with me, if any of you were like, oh, no, 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 I'll just sit in the crowd. I, I'm not like a, you know, not radical follower. Kind of not one of those 12 guys who are, you know, and not really want to tag along. I'd rather just back row on the outside of the crowd where I can see the miracle. I can see the guy that used to be blind and now he can see and some food will make it back to me eventually. Um, I'm good right here. He so says, if any of you at any point, any point are embarrassed to be identified with me, to be seen with me, to be called by my name, If any of you are ashamed of me in my words, he says, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Oh. But he's always said, don't freak out. So in your effort, you know, whatever whatever you've been trying to protect for yourself, in your effort to distance yourself from me, he says, you're going to forfeit that one day, Anyway, whatever you're worried about, what people are going to think about you or opportunities you think you're going to miss or what you think might happen to your reputation and your credibility because now you're identified with me. He says, I know it's going to be hard in the moment. It's going to seem like a loss in the moment. It's going to feel like a death in the moment, but don't be ashamed of me because one day there's a day of reckoning. One day in the future, there's going to be a judgment and oh, I'm going to be your judge and you're going to give an account of your life and on that day as your judge, I will be ashamed of you. What will you have gained? What what will you have held on to as you held on to your well-guarded image, as you held on to your reputation, as you held on to what you consider to be opportunities, as you held on to some stuff and some income and some dollars, as you held on to some relationships? What will you have gained in that day, says that I'm ashamed of you? What will you have gained? And it seems like such a big sacrifice now. But he would say, we've already established that you value your soul. You value the eternal destiny and well-being of your soul. You value your forever more than you value anything on this earth. So don't be ashamed of me. Don't be afraid to follow me because whatever you give up to follow me will one day be a distant memory anyway. But it'll be an investment in the condition of your soul. I wish he gave us some more information. I wish there was a little more explanation as to what exactly he's talking about because I don't, believe, I don't believe he's talking about heaven and hell. I believe he's talking about our place in his eternal kingdom, which is kind of a big deal. I mean, I wish, I wish he would have explained a little bit what exactly is a soul. I wish because we think we know, but I don't know that we do. I wish he would have explained what he meant by forfeit your soul, but he doesn't. But I get the point. So uh, after all this, I imagine Peter because we know a little bit about Peter and his personality. And I imagine Peter's thinking, okay, Jesus, got it. That's great. I'm all in. Let's go. Let's do this thing. Because <clears throat> later Peter says, well, if all these losers have beginning you, I'm with you. I'm a follower. I'm your wingman, Jesus. I'm no longer a consumer, just part of the crowd, hanging around for the show, hanging for the free food, or some helpful principles. I am in. And Jesus is like, ah, oh, Peter, that's nice. That's nice, Peter. But I think you overestimate your commitment. I think you overestimate your devotion because I know you and I love you, Peter. And I know you mean well. And I know you're sincere. And I know you, you know, wrote the date down on your Bible that you made this decision and all. But Peter, you're not as in as you think you are. I think Peter's kind of offended by that idea. And he's like, no, 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 Jesus, I'm in, I'm in. I'll never be ashamed of you. And you know the story. The night Jesus is arrested and they're all waiting in the shadows to see how the trial's gonna go. And a middle school girl walks up to Peter and she's like, Hey, dude, you're like one of those Jesus guys. And Peter's like, no, I'm not. Oh, yeah, like, I'm like pretty sure you are. And he's like, no, I'm not. And he totally denies his association with Jesus. And then Jesus catches his eyes as he's led off in front of him. And the Bible says Peter goes out and he weeps and he weeps and he weeps. And he realizes, I did it. I did. I tried to hang on to something that I'm going to lose anyway. What was I thinking? And I'm pretty sure at that point that Peter would have gladly gone back and given up whatever he thought he was trying to save in order to let Jesus know that he was not ashamed of him. Oh, and then one day after the resurrection, Jesus circles back around with Peter. And he says, Peter, we need to talk about that thing. You know, that thing that happened the night of my arrest. You remember that? You remember that? You know what I'm talking about, Peter? And Peter's like, oh boy, here it comes. And Jesus is like, Peter, first of all, I forgive you. You think you will get it right next time? Tell you what, tell you what, Peter, here's the deal. I'm going to put you in charge of the whole church. And Peter's like, the what? Oh, the church. It's this thing I'm putting together for after I'm gone. You're going to be the guy you're in charge. And he became the voice and the leader of the first century church and the guy that just failed this test miserably. But on that day, he went from consumer and user to follower. And later, Peter was crucified as a result of his willingness to deny himself and to identify with Jesus. See, salvation is free. It costs you nothing. Following Christ is going to cost you something. And I don't know what it's going to be for you, what it's going to be for me. I don't know when it's going to be. It's probably not going to be a one-time shot. And when you're confronted with it, it's going to feel like a moral imperative. You're going to sense something on the inside of you, like God is going, this is what, you know, the, the God is saying to you, this is what I've got to do. And nobody else is going to understand, and nobody else is going to say, Well, of course, I get it. That makes sense. No, no. You, you know, but you've got to go there, and you've got to get out of that relationship because it's not honoring God. Or you've got to stay in that relationship. Or you've got to sell this, or you've got to quit that job and take another one. And you've got to learn to live on less money, or you've got to give more, or you've got to serve in the church, or you've got to serve in your community more. I, I don't know what it's going to be, but on the inside of you, you're going to know. And if, if you're going to be a follower, not just a consumer, this is the next step you've got to take. There, and, and you don't see any immediate benefit for you. This is not one of those deals where if I, I'm going to obey God, because if I obey God, I get a blessing, because that's how it works. So if I give this up, God gives me something better. <sighs> if I make this sacrifice, God will make it up to me with something better. And if, I, just, can we just, I, I need to use a theological term. That is bogus. You know. And some of you buy into that. Uh, It's not a biblical principle. Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, this is so awesome, he said, if you do the things I just taught, you'll be blessed. If you do the things that I just taught, here's what I mean. You'll be like the wise man who builds his house in the rock, and the storm came, and the house stood firm. And we tend to think of that in terms of like instantaneous cause and effect. But at the very, very least, he built the house during the building season. And then at least several months later, during the stormy season, the house was put to the test and he was rewarded by the fact that it didn't collapse. In Mark 8, Jesus is talking long, long term. It's like, I decided to follow Jesus and there may be no measurable benefit in this life. Um, you know, at least there aren't any promises made. I check the fine print. But if anything, it's kind of just the opposite. Some pretty bad stuff could happen. But at least I know I'm no longer a consumer and a user and a spectator and a taker. I'm a follower. And it will feel like a loss. It'll feel like you gave something up because it'll feel like you gave something up that you can't ever get back. But you'll be a follower. Somewhere on the spectrum of consumer and follower is your business and your money and your reputation in your relationships, in your dreams, um, what you've been willing to do, who you've been willing to associate with. You know, you love the church, maybe even this church, and you love the biblical principles and the help that you get with life, and you love Treasure Bay and Jammers and and Dive in the Sound, and you love the coffee kind of, at least it's coffee, and you love the music, and you like the teaching sometimes, and you love the people, and you love giving money because it helps pay for all this stuff. But all of a sudden, if, if you take this next step... It could really cost you. It's going to cost you something. And there may not be any repayment in this life. And you're tempted, like all of us are tempted to say, but but, but I I want to save my life. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whatever is in that hand, you're going to lose anyway. I'm giving you the opportunity of a lifetime. You have the opportunity to give up what you're going to lose anyway for the sake of something that can't be taken away from you later. It's like that the, Jim Elliott, the famous missionary, said it this way. He said, he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I think Jesus is saying everybody dies of something. Why not die something. Oh, 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 why not die for something? And every time you decide, God, for your sake and for your kingdom's sake and for Jesus' sake, I'm willing to give up. I'm willing to experience a little bit of death relationally, a little bit of death financially, a little bit of death in terms of my image, and a little bit of death in terms of my comfort, and a little bit of death in terms of my dreams. I'm willing to experience in such a small way a little bit of loss with nothing in return. Then you've given up what's going to be taken away from you anyway And you've given it up for the sake of something that you'll rejoice in later for all eternity. That's a good deal. That's a good trade. Salvation's free, costs you nothing. Listen, if you don't know Christ this morning, you're not even sure you're a consumer because this is all foreign to you. And you might be on the outer edges of the crowd, you know, enjoying the show. And this morning, you know for the first time, uh, you know, that it's time for you to take the next step. And you need to step up and say, "God, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to even do the spectator deal anymore. I'm going to skip that all together. I'm going to jump from the fringe right into following Jesus." Right now, in the quietness of your heart, if you would just pray a prayer that's something that God, I admit that I have a sin debt that I can't pay. I'm asking you to apply the payment of Christ's death on the cross, exchanges righteousness for my debt, make me righteous before you. I tell you, you come to God with that spirit and that desire and God will do something incredible and something so significant inside of you, you will never be the same. If that's where you find yourself today, I would love to talk with you when we dismiss here in a few minutes. Following Jesus is going to cost you something. But here's the great unknown. Refusing to follow Christ will cost you. Who knows? Nobody knows. But if ultimately you're going to lose it anyway, why not lose it with a purpose and for the sake of the Savior who died for your sins and who served you so well? Here's the thing. You don't know what's at stake. We don't know what's at stake. We don't know what's on the other side of our willingness to say, I'm giving up what I can't keep anyway. I'm going to deny myself. You don't know what's at stake. But Jesus says there will come a time when you'll be glad you were a follower, not simply a consumer. Salvation's free, costs you nothing. Following Christ eventually going to cost you something. Refusing to follow Christ, oh, there's a sense in which it'll cost you everything. <clears throat> some of you are sitting next to some followers. You're sitting next and around some people who are all in. They are followers and learners and they're fully engaged in this process. They come from all walks of life, all different careers, all different family backgrounds. These are people who have jobs and mortgages. They're just as busy as any of you. They have all the responsibilities all the way to the world, just like you do. But you know what? The priority of their life is following Jesus. And that's what motivates me. And I think about the strength and the health and the potential of our church in this community. It's, It's those of you who are fully engaged in following Jesus. And you haven't arrived. You're just steadily moving along in the process. What I pray is, you know, Lord Jesus, we don't want just more church members. We don't want just more people filling seats. But Lord, raise up among us followers, men and women and teenagers who are full-time disciples, followers, and learners engaged in the process. So here's the deal. Have you found yourself to be content to just be a consumer and a user? And is it time that you take the next scary step, the next threatening step, intimidating step, and say, Lord Jesus, I want to be a follower. I want to follow you. I want to be a learner. Not only do I want to learn, I want to do, and I want to fully commit to this lifelong process of becoming more and more like the one that I follow. And Lord, I'm scared to death, but here's my life. It's not much. You know, I made a real mess of some things there, but here it is. Is it that time in your life? Is it time to quit making excuses about how busy you are? Because, hey, we're all busy. I don't even want to be around people who aren't busy. You know, this is about prioritizing. It's about living life with an eternal perspective. It's about deciding the priority of my life is going to be follower of Jesus. Make disciples be fully engaged in the process of growth in him for life. Jesus said being a follower will cost you. Refusing to be a follower will cost you more being a follower costs cost you something. Refusing to be a follower will cost you everything. So that's my prayer for us today, that if you're a follower of Christ, that you hang in there, stay in the process. Do what it takes to stay engaged. Do what it takes in those spiritual disciplines to be growing, to be able to look back, let's say, in a year's time and say, yeah, I'm moving forward. I'm learning. I'm following, and bit by bit, I'm becoming the person God has called me to be. If you're not a follower, maybe you've been a believer, maybe you've been a believer for like forever, but you're not really a follower and you know it. You're just there for the the miracle show and the free food. Is it time that you take that next step? I say it is. And I don't know exactly what that means for you, but when that's your heart's desire, God has this uncanny way of showing you your next step as we all commit ourselves and surrender ourselves to being lifelong, everyday learners and followers of Jesus. I hope in the next three or four minutes as I play this song that you'll just let God continue to speak to you and you can speak to him. Listen.